Section 10 of Volume 1D of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume, Volume 1D, Section 10, Chapter 39. Part Four. The birth of a son gave additional zeal to Mary's partisans in England, and even men of the most opposite parties began to cry aloud for some settlement of the succession. These humours broke out with great vehemence in a new session of Parliament, held after six prorogations. The House of Peers, which had hitherto forborne to touch on this delicate point, here took the lead, and the House of Commons soon after imitated the zeal of the Lords. Molyneux opened the matter in the lower house, and proposed that the question of the succession and that of supply should go hand in hand, as if it were intended to constrain the Queen to a compliance with the request of her Parliament. The courtiers endeavoured to elude the debate. Sir Ralph Sadler told the House that he had heard the Queen positively affirm that for the good of her people she was determined to marry. Secretary Cecil and Sir Francis Knollys gave their testimony to the same purpose, as did Sir Ambrose Cave, Chancellor of the Duchy, and Sir Edward Rogers, Comptroller of the Household. Elizabeth's ambitious and masculine character was so well known that few members gave any credit to this intelligence, and it was considered merely as an artifice by which she endeavoured to retract that positive declaration which she had made in the beginning of her reign, that she meant to live and die a virgin. The ministers, therefore, gained nothing by this piece of policy, than only to engage the house for the sake of decency to join the question of the queen's marriage with that of a settlement of the crown and the commons were proceeding with great earnestness in the debate and had even appointed a committee to confer with the lords when express orders were brought them from elizabeth not to proceed further in the matter Cecil told them that she pledged to the house the word of a queen for her sincerity in her intentions to marry, that the appointment of a successor would be attended with great danger to her person, that she herself had had experience during the reign of her sister how much court was usually paid to the next heir, and what dangerous sacrifices men were commonly disposed to make of their present duty to their future prospects, and that she was therefore determined to delay, till a more proper opportunity, the decision of that important question. The House was not satisfied with these reasons, and still less with the command prohibiting them all debate on the subject. Paul Wentworth, a spirited member, went so far as to question whether such a prohibition were not an infringement of the liberties and privileges of the house. Some even ventured to violate that profound respect 
which had hitherto been preserved to the queen and they affirmed that she was bound in duty not only to provide for the happiness of her subjects during her own life but also to pay regard to their future security by fixing a successor that by an opposite conduct she showed herself the stepmother not the natural parent of her people and would seem desirous that england should no longer subsist than she should enjoy the glory and satisfaction of governing it that none but timorous princes or tyrants or faint-hearted women ever stood in fear of their successors and that the affections of the people were a firm and impregnable rampart to every sovereign who laying aside all artifice or by-ends had courage and magnanimity to put his sole trust in that honourable and sure defence the queen hearing of these debates sent for the speaker and after reiterating her former prohibition she bade him inform the house that if any member remained still unsatisfied he might appear before the privy council and there give his reasons as the members showed a disposition notwithstanding these peremptory orders still to proceed upon the question elizabeth thought proper by a message to revoke them and to allow the house liberty of debate they were so mollified by this gracious condescension that they thenceforth conducted the matter with more calmness and temper and they even voted her a supply to be levied at three payments of a subsidy and a fifteenth without annexing any condition to it the queen soon after dissolved the parliament and told them with some sharpness in the conclusion that their proceedings had contained much dissimulation and artifice that under the plausible pretences of marriage and succession many of them covered very malevolent intentions towards her but that however she reaped this advantage from the attempts of these men that she could now distinguish her friends from her enemies but do you think added she that i am unmindful of your future security or will be negligent in settling the succession that is the chief object of my concern as i know myself to be liable to mortality or do you apprehend that i meant to encroach on your liberties no it was never my meaning i only intended to stop you before you approached the precipice all things have their time and though you may be blessed with a sovereign more wise or more learned than i yet i assure you that no one will ever rule over you who shall be more careful of your safety and therefore henceforward whether i live to see the like assembly or no or whoever holds the reins of government let me warn you to beware of provoking your sovereign's patience so far as you have done mine but i shall now conclude that notwithstanding the disgusts i have received for i mean not to part with you in anger the greater part of you may assure themselves that they go home in their prince's good graces elizabeth carried further her dignity on this occasion she had received the subsidy without any condition 
but as it was believed that the commons had given her that gratuity with a view of engaging her to yield to their requests she thought proper on her refusal voluntarily to remit the third payment and she said that money in her subjects purses was as good to her as in her own exchequer but though the queen was able to elude for the present the applications of parliament the friends of the queen of scots multiplied every day in england and besides the catholics many of whom kept a treasonable correspondence with her and were ready to rise at her command the court itself of elizabeth was full of her avowed partisans the duke of norfolk the earls of leicester pembroke bedford northumberland sir nicholas throgmorton and most of the considerable men in england except cecil seemed convinced of the necessity of declaring her the successor none but the more zealous protestants adhered either to the countess of hereford or to her aunt eleanor countess of cumberland and as the marriage of the former seemed liable to some objections and had been declared invalid men were alarmed even on that side with the prospect of new disputes concerning the succession mary's behaviour also so moderate towards the protestants and so gracious towards all men had procured her universal respect and the public was willing to ascribe any imprudences into which she had fallen to her youth and inexperience but all these flattering prospects were blasted by the subsequent incidents where her egregious indiscretions shall i say or atrocious crimes threw her from the height of her prosperity and involved her in infamy and in ruin the earl of bothwell was of a considerable family and power in scotland and though not distinguished by any talents either of a civil or military nature he had made a figure in that party which opposed the greatness of the earl of murray and the more rigid reformers he was a man of profligate manners had involved his opulent fortune in great debts and even reduced himself to beggary by his profuse expenses and seemed to have no resource but in desperate counsels and enterprises he had been accused more than once of an attempt to assassinate murray and though the frequency of these accusations on all sides diminish somewhat the credit due to any particular imputation they prove sufficiently the prevalence of that detestable practice in Scotland, and may in that view serve to render such rumours the more credible. The man had of late acquired the favour and entire confidence of Mary, and all her measures were directed by his advice and authority. Reports were spread of more particular intimacies between them, and these reports gained ground from the continuance or rather increase of her hatred towards her husband that young prince was reduced to such a state of desperation by the neglects which he underwent from his queen and the courtiers that he had once resolved to fly secretly into france or spain and had even provided a vessel for that purpose 
some of the most considerable nobility on the other hand observing her rooted aversion to him had proposed some expedients for a divorce and though mary is said to have spoken honourably on the occasion and to have embraced the proposal no further than it should be found consistent with her own honour and her son's legitimacy men were inclined to believe that the difficulty of finding proper means for effecting that purpose was the real cause of laying aside all further thoughts of it so far were the suspicions against her carried that when henry discouraged with the continual proofs of her hatred left the court and retired to glasgow an illness of an extraordinary nature with which he was seized immediately on his arrival in that place was universally ascribed by her enemies to a dose of poison which it was pretended she had administered to him while affairs were in this situation all those who wished well to her character or to public tranquillity were extremely pleased and somewhat surprised to hear that a friendship was again conciliated between them that she had taken a journey to glasgow on purpose to visit him during his sickness that she behaved towards him with great tenderness that she had brought him along with her and that she appeared thenceforth determined to live with him on a footing more suitable to the connections between them henry naturally uxorious and not distrusting this sudden reconciliation put himself implicitly into her hands and attended her to edinburgh she lived in the palace of holyrood house but as the situation of the palace was low and the concourse of people about the court was necessarily attended with noise which might disturb him in his present infirm state of health these reasons were assigned for fitting up an apartment for him in a solitary house at some distance called the kirk of field mary here gave him marks of kindness and attachment she conversed cordially with him and she lay some nights in a room below his but on the ninth of february she told him that she would pass that night in the palace because the marriage of one of her servants was there to be celebrated in her presence about two o'clock in the morning the whole town was much alarmed at hearing a great noise and was still more astonished when it was discovered that the noise came from the king's house which was blown up by gunpowder that his dead body was found at some distance in a neighbouring field and that no marks either of fire contusion or violence appeared upon it no doubt could be entertained but henry was murdered and general conjecture soon pointed towards the earl of bothwell as the author of the crime but as his favour with mary was visible and his power great no one ventured to declare openly his sentiments and all men remained in silence and mute astonishment voices however were heard in the streets during the darkness of the night proclaiming bothwell and even mary herself to be murderers of the king bills were secretly affixed to the walls to the same purpose offers were made that upon giving proper securities his guilt should be openly proved 
but after one proclamation from the court offering a reward and indemnity to any one that would discover the author of that villainy greater vigilance was employed in searching out the spreaders of the libels and reports against bothwell and the queen than in tracing the contrivers of the king's assassination or detecting the regicides the earl of lennox who lived at a distance from court in poverty and contempt was roused by the report of his son's murder and wrote to the queen imploring speedy justice against the assassins among whom he named the earl of bothwell sir james balfour and gilbert balfour his brother david chalmers and four others of the queen's household all of them persons who had been mentioned in the bills affixed to the walls at edinburgh mary took his demand of speedy justice in a very literal sense and allowing only fifteen days for the examination of this important affair she sent a citation to lennox requiring him to appear in court and prove his charge against bothwell this nobleman meanwhile and all the other persons accused by lennox enjoyed their full liberty bothwell himself was continually surrounded with armed men took his place in council lived during some time in the house with mary and seemed to possess all his wonted confidence and familiarity with her even the castle of edinburgh a place of great consequence in this critical time was entrusted to him and under him to his creature sir james balfour who had himself been publicly charged as an accomplice in the king's murder lennox who had come as far as stirling with a view of appearing at the trial was informed of all these circumstances and reflecting on the small train which attended him he began to entertain very just apprehensions from the power insolence and temerity of his enemy he wrote to mary desiring that the day of trial might be prorogued and conjured her by all the regard which she bore to her own honour to employ more leisure and deliberation in determining a question of such extreme moment no regard was paid to his application the jury was enclosed of which the earl of caithness was chancellor and though lennox foreseeing this precipitation had ordered cunningham one of his retinue to appear in court and protest in his name against the acquittal of the criminal the jury proceeded to a verdict the verdict was such as it behooved them to give where neither accuser nor witness appeared and bothwell was absolved from the king's murder the jury however apprehensive that their verdict would give great scandal and perhaps expose them afterwards to some danger entered a protest in which they represented the necessity of their proceedings it is remarkable that the indictment was laid against bothwell for committing the crime on the ninth of february not the tenth the real day on which henry was assassinated the interpretation generally put upon this error too gross it was thought to have proceeded from mistake was that the secret council by whom mary was governed not trusting entirely to precipitation violence and authority 
had provided this plea by which they ensured at all adventures a plausible pretence for acquitting bothwell two days after this extraordinary transaction a parliament was held and though the verdict in favour of bothwell was attended with such circumstances as strongly confirmed rather than diminished the general opinion of his guilt he was the person chosen to carry the royal sceptre on the first meeting of that national assembly in this parliament a rigorous act was made against those who set up defamatory bills but no notice was taken of the king's murder the favour which mary openly bore to bothwell kept every one in awe and the effects of this terror appeared more plainly in another transaction which ensued immediately upon the dissolution of the parliament a bond or association was framed in which the subscribers after relating the acquittal of bothwell by a legal trial and mentioning a further offer which he had made to prove his innocence by single combat obliged themselves in case any person should afterwards impute to him the king's murder to defend him with their whole power against such calumniators after this promise which implied no great assurance in bothwell of his own innocence the subscribers mentioned the necessity of their queen's marriage in order to support the government and they recommended bothwell to her as a husband this paper was subscribed by all the considerable nobility there present in a country divided by violent factions such a concurrence in favour of one nobleman no wise distinguished above the rest except by his flagitious conduct could never have been obtained had not every one been certain at least firmly persuaded that mary was fully determined on this measure nor would such a motive have sufficed to influence men commonly so stubborn and intractable had they not been taken by surprise been ignorant of each other's sentiments and overawed by the present power of the court and by the apprehensions of further violence from persons so little governed by any principles of honour and humanity even with all these circumstances the subscription to this paper may justly be regarded as a reproach to the nation the subsequent measures of bothwell were equally precipitate and audacious mary having gone to stirling to pay a visit to her son he assembled a body of eight hundred horse on pretence of pursuing some robbers on the borders and having waylaid her on her return he seized her person near edinburgh and carried her to dunbar with an avowed design of forcing her to yield to his purpose sir james melville one of her retinue was carried along with her and says not that he saw any signs of reluctance or constraint he was even informed as he tells us by bothwell's officers that the whole transaction was managed in concert with her a woman indeed of that spirit and resolution which is acknowledged to belong to mary does not usually on these occasions give such marks of opposition to real violence as can appear any wise doubtful or ambiguous 
Some of the nobility, however, in order to put matters to further trial, sent her a private message, in which they told her that if in reality she lay under force, they would use all their efforts to rescue her. Her answer was that she had indeed been carried to Dunbar by violence, but ever since her arrival had been so well treated that she willingly remained with Bothwell. No one gave himself thenceforth any concern to relieve her from a captivity which was believed to proceed entirely from her own approbation and connivance. This unusual conduct was at first ascribed to Mary's sense of the infamy attending her purposed marriage, and her desire of finding some colour to gloss over the irregularity of her conduct. But a pardon given to Bothwell a few days later made the public carry their conjectures somewhat further. In this deed, Bothwell received a pardon for the violence committed on the Queen's person, and for all other crimes, a clause by which the murder of the King was indirectly forgiven. The rape was then conjectured to have been only a contrivance, in order to afford a pretense for indirectly remitting a crime, of which it would have appeared scandalous to make openly any mention. End of section 10, chapter 39, part 4.